0: The swamp takes little note of the violent battle that is being waged in one of its secret corners. It has seen many such struggles in its eternity of existence. So, what if the combatants are unnatural? The swamp has known the pull of arcane forces before. It will endure. It has always endured. What's the same could be said for the all too frail prizes at stake in this savage contest? Everyone and Welcome to the Nexus of All Realities, a Man-Thing podcast. I'm Paul Matthew Carr, your guide to the weird, the wacky, and the often wonderful of a 70s swamp-based monster comic. Today on the program, I'll be straying from the main title again to discuss a Man-Thing story in Monsters Unleashed. Now, that's an adult-oriented magazine-style comic. I'll be talking more about Monsters Unleashed in a bit more detail after the break, but rest assured... I'll be back to mainlining Man-Thing in the next episode. That's a weird thing to say out loud. Okay, but this kind of sideways journey into another title brought up a bit of a a conundrum for me, and that is how to order my episodes. That may seem a little pedantic, I know, but just hear me out. My goal for this show was to go through the Man-Thing content chronologically. Now, when there's only one title being published, that's a pretty straightforward thing to do, but when there are multiple titles or side appearances or or cameos, which is something that's going to be happening as I continue, things get a bit more complicated. And that is because of cover date versus release date. For instance, this issue I'll be talking about today was cover dated April 1974, but it wasn't released until October 1974. So, if I go by cover date, it comes before several issues of the main title, but if I go by release date, it comes after. Uh, That's not a big deal in and of itself. Here's the problem, though. In many cases, the cover date is two, sometimes three months after the release date, which confuses things. Up till now, I've been ordering my episodes by cover date. Uh, There hasn't been a conflict since, well, there's only been one title. Eventually, coming up very soon, in fact, we will have the main title of Man-Thing running alongside uh, Monsters Unleashed and giant Size Man-Thing. Insert joke here. And, at this point in time, Man-Thing was becoming popular enough that he would make appearances in other books, like Daredevil, Spider-Man, and others. So it's all about the stories. Which comes first, and, and so forth. And because they're going to start to overlap... I wanted to make sure that everything is consistent and historically correct. Yeah, I know. Obsessive. But, all that being said, I've decided to continue to order my episodes by cover date. Again, this may not seem like a big deal, but I've, you know, put too much thought into it to just let it go. All this is to say, I just want to throw out a question to, to the listeners. How would you do it? Uh, it's a bit like organizing your long box. Uh, do you do it by title and date? If so, what about crossovers? Do you put these together? Do you separate them out? Do you put them by character, by author? You get the idea. So I would really like to know your thoughts. How do you organize your stuff, be it a, a podcast episodes or, or a long box or your socks? I don't really care. Uh, I just want to know how you do it because I find that interesting. So send me an email to comments at nexusofallrealities.com or let me know on Twitter, at Nexus of All. Uh, I'd really like to know what you think. Also, speaking of being overly obsessive, in recent previews, the June issue of Champions, Champions number 22, in fact, announced that it will be featuring Man-Thing. This is cool. Uh, Some preview art has been released. It's by uh, Stefano Caselli, and it looks good. Uh, He draws Man-Thing as sort of, um, I don't know, woolly but sufficiently swampy and veiny and scaly. Uh, and he's huge. Uh, Manny's got some girth there. He's holding Vivian in his hand. That's Vision's daughter. Uh, it's in a menacing grasp, and his face snouts are sort of wrapped around her neck like a, like a tentacle. Uh, that's that's interesting. He's getting all Cthulhu on us. So, yeah, so all this is very cool. It's nice to see Man-Thing making an appearance, of course. Here's my deal, though. I've not been reading Champions. So my OCD completest brain is telling me to go back and read this comic from the beginning, so I'm completely caught up when the issue of with Man-Thing comes out, uh, and I inevitably buy it. But I don't have the time or the money, I tell my completest brain. I don't care, says my brain. Do it anyway. Fine, I will. I hate my brain. <laughs> so apparently I'll be reading Champions for the next few weeks. One last thing before I move on. Recently on Twitter, someone asked if I would, at any point, be doing an episode on the Man-Thing movie. Or at least giving my thoughts on it. And, oof. (laughs) You know, my initial thinking is that it's not really a Man-Thing movie. You know, other than the title and the general setting is in a swamp. Uh, So if you don't know, there was a Man-Thing movie released in 2005... It's by Lionsgate, and that was a generic, low-budget horror film, kind of, sort of, maybe, having to do with the comic, but, um, yeah, it's not very good. But again, I will put this out there to you, my dear listeners. Should I do an episode on the Man-Thing movie? Or maybe a, a commentary? I don't know. If I get enough responses, I will put something together. If not, I will ignore it as if it's never happened. All right, I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to plug something I like and uh, be back to Unleash Monsters. Mmm, great coffee. Mmm, hey. Hm? Chad, who's that strange, somber man on the cover of that book you're reading? Oh. That's H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, I've heard of him, but I never really got into his stuff. It's kind of strange and hard to read. I used to think that, too. But that all changed when I started listening to the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. What's that? The H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast is a weekly podcast. Tell me more. These two really smart and hilarious guys give a synopsis of the story, then they talk about its background, the critical views, and what it says about the author. Well, where can I listen? Let me tell you, Chris. You can go to hppodcraft.com or, heck, just subscribe through iTunes. It's that easy. Oh, Chad, I'm so excited. Now I can listen to the podcast and pretend to all my snooty friends that I actually read and understand HP Lovecraft hey that's what I do (laughs) (laughs) oh (laughs) dear HPpodcraft.com Monsters Unleashed was a large format magazine style comic that ran for 11 issues plus an annual between the years 1973 and 1975 Now, as I've mentioned on many episodes previous, the comic book code was still in effect, although lessened to a great deal. As an aside, uh, I've wanted to devote an entire episode's topic to the comic book code authority for some time now, but it's a big topic, uh, and the effects of the code were were far-reaching, and it changed comics and, and the industry for a generation. As for horror comics, it nearly wiped them out. So, basically, I'm still planning to do an episode devoted to the code, but I didn't want to rush it. Uh, It's a big topic, and I I don't want to half-ass it, essentially. But as far as this era I'm talking about in the 1970s, horror comics were really starting to thrive. Not just at Marvel, but in general. As I said, the code was eased a bit so as to allow more horror-themed content, uh, more stylized violence... And generally more graphic content, albeit in a child-friendly manner. A statement put out at the time regarding the code went went like this. Scenes dealing with or instruments associated with walking dead or torture shall not be used. Vampires, ghouls, and werewolves shall be permitted to be used when handled in the classic tradition such as Frankenstein, Dracula, and other high-caliber literary works written by Edgar Allan Poe, Saki, Conan Doyle, and other respected authors whose works are read in schools around the world. Uh, Saki, by the way, that's the pen name of H.H. Monroe, in case you're curious. So, uh, basically what the code was saying at this point was, make it literary. You see, many of the classic horror monsters, that is, the material they were based on, had moved into the public domain and were ripe for the picking. DC had its own horror anthologies going, and in Marvel, well, they went monster crazy. Marvel began publishing ongoing comics based on Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman, and the Mummy, as well as their own takes on original spin off characters like Ghost Rider, Morbius the Living Vampire, whatever that means, Son of Satan, and of course, Man Thing. And these were really popular at the time. It's really hard to explain how popular these early classic monsters were in the 1970s. I mean, at least in the movie versions, not necessarily the, the book versions but how they were portrayed in the in the classic Universal-style movies, or the Hammer movies, for that matter. But even with the relaxation of the Code's guidelines, there were things you couldn't do. As in the statement I just read, there were restrictions on the portrayal of instruments of torture uh, or The Walking Dead. So Robert Kirkman would not have a career, basically. Depictions of graphic violence were a no-no. Profanity? Forget about it. Overt sexuality was frowned upon and nudity. Oh, hell no. But there was a way around it. Magazines. You see, magazines didn't fall under the purview of the comic book code. So, a company could publish comics in magazine form and, to a certain extent, be as adult as they wanted to be. And so, Monsters Unleashed was born. This was published under the brand Marvel Monster Group, which was a subsidiary of Magazine Management Company. And I'm not going to go into the whole business side of publishing and distribution because it's tedious and boring. But suffice to say that the Magazine Management Company was the parent company of Marvel and also published men's adventure magazines with, with, with pulp-style stories, uh, detectives and sci-fi and such, as well as men's girly mags, you know, softcore porno stuff. So these magazine-style comic books fell into the realm of adult-oriented material with a noir pulp feel and a borderline exploitation angle. And Marvel did a bunch of these. Uh, Horror-wise, in addition to Monsters Unleashed, there was uh, Dracula Lives! Tales of the Zombie, Vampire Tales, as well as uh, uh, non-horror-specific magazines like Savage Tales, where Man-Things started. Lots of tales, now that I say it out loud. Now, other comic book companies were doing this as well. Warren Publishing, for instance, had been doing uh, creepy and eerie comics uh, throughout the 60s and 70s, as well as Vampirella, the sexy vampire. And, of course, they did the greatest of all monster magazines, famous monsters of Filmland. Archive.org has many of those Warren publications online, and if you're so inclined, I think you should go check it out because they're very cool and worth the time to look at. Now, these comic book magazines were really interesting in that they tried to bring something different to the genre and expand what could be done with the comic book format. The art was really top-notch, and the writers were some of the best available, and because it was a magazine, it had to have prose stories as well, in addition to the comics, so it was a very unique thing that was being done. One of those prose stories, in fact, is a Man-Thing story that I'll get to cover at some point down the line. But the problem that arose from this format was the fact that, well, it was oversized, it was a magazine, so heavier stock paper, and it was more expensive to publish. And, of course, more expensive to buy. It had, I mean, it had a cover price of 75 cents. (laughs) That was outrageous. Especially when your target audience was essentially kids. That might not seem a lot now, but you see, uh, you know, back in my day, (laughs) listen to me, back in my day... Uh, comic books were 25 or $0.30. Cents. And, uh, you know, I could go to the comic book store with $3 and come away with 8 to 12 comic books. Think about that. Today, I could maybe get one. Maybe. Uh, also, back then, we didn't have the internet. So we had to talk to each other face-to-face-like. And when we wanted to send a message, we hand-wrote our letters on paper and sent them through the mail like God intended. And we didn't get no immediate response. No, no, we waited weeks, months, I say, for a reply, and we liked it that way, with all the anticipation and such. And we didn't have no fancy dancing video games. No, 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 we had Pong, two sticks and a ball, and we were happy. Also, get off my lawn. (laughs) There you go, old man rant. You're welcome. (laughs) So anyway... What was I saying? Oh yeah, 75 cents was a lot to put down for a comic back then, even if it was uh, was oversized. And the audience was undefined. I mean, I mean, it was aimed at adults, or at least older, you know, high school, college age. But it was really coveted by younger kids who were not always able to buy it due to price or permission. There were places that didn't sell these magazines to kids because they were too mature, and and the cost was prohibitive. So they didn't sell as well, and typically didn't last as long. Monsters Unleashed lasted 11 issues, basically a year, even though it had good stuff in it. It didn't sell, and it was too expensive to keep going. But the ideas crafted in the magazine didn't go away. They slowly drifted into the mainstream comics. They They were recrafted, of course, to fit the stricter guidelines, but they continued to push and push and push at the code, and helped to further relax those restrictions till finally the code was abandoned altogether. But that, of course, is a story for another time. The story for today is a revisiting of Man-Thing's origin as seen from a different perspective, and the ramifications and the fallout for those involved. All the Faces of Fear first appeared in Monsters Unleashed number 5, cover dated April 1974. It was written by Tony Isabella with art by Vincente Alcazar. Deep in the swamp, Man-Thing engages in his favorite pastime, beating up alligators. But the alligators are different this time. They seem more monstrous. And when giant bats with demon heads appear, we realize things are not what they seem. In the distance, a hooded and cloaked woman is watching. Manthing approaches her and reaches out a slime-dripping hand to touch her, and... Ellen Brandt wakes screaming in the hospital bed. It was only a dream but a recurring dream, a twisted memory of a terrible past. Ellen is in a hospital, her face bandaged. Months of reconstructive surgery are nearly complete. But before the bandages are removed, before her new life can begin, she needs closure. She needs revenge. Revenge on the creature that did this to her. So she travels to Florida, accompanied by her doctor Leonard, who is secretly in love with her, to the accursed swamp where the nightmare began to kill the beast that nearly destroyed her. In the swamp, they journey to the aim base that is now in shambles and torn to pieces where they are confronted by Man-Thing. Man-Thing. easily dispatches Leonard and moves on to Ellen. He is disoriented by the mix of strong and terrible emotions emanating from her, most powerful of all, her greed. But that, of course, soon turns to fear, the one emotion Manthing hates most of all. But as he comes closer, as he bears down upon her, in that moment her fear subsides. She realizes what this creature is, who this creature is. He is Ted Salas, her former lover whom she betrayed. And that betrayal, that cruelty, that selfishness is what caused this hideous transformation to happen. She realizes then in that moment that it was her fear, her loneliness, her fear of being poor, her fear of so much more that caused this tragedy, and she knows she must now conquer that fear if she is to be saved. Ellen Brandt removes her bandages and reveals her face, beautiful and new. Man-Thing reaches out. He touches her face, but this time his touch does not burn. Instead, his touch is gentle, a caress, soft and tender. The monster walks off then. ...leaving Ellen behind, no longer sensing fear, only sadness. Alright, so this is a much shorter story than I usually deal with, as this is a backup story in this issue. Uh, It's just 11 pages, and that includes a splash page. So, So it's very economical in the storytelling. And it has a much more somber tone... Than what you get in the in in the main line, Uh, that fits for the overall feeling of Monsters Unleashed. It's a more somber and serious book in general, and this story follows almost directly from the origin of Man Thing uh, that appeared in Savage Tales. And in fact, I should point out that Man Thing did have another appearance in Monsters Unleashed in in Monsters Unleashed issue number three, in fact. But that was simply a reprint of the original story published in Savage Tales. I didn't cover that because I already did an episode on that particular story way back in episode one of this fine program you're listening to right now. So the storylines that have been developed in the ongoing series of Man-Thing do not seem to be of interest to Isabella. He is following up a story that readers of the magazine will have seen and may not have any knowledge of Gerber's run. Similarly, uh, Gerber has never really seemed to have much interest in this particular storyline. Ellen Brandt uh, and AIM and the espionage aspect of it, even the super soldier stuff, don't really enter into the main title except in passing occasionally. Gerber is much more interested in the supernatural and the fantasy aspects of Man-Thing and what he can do around the character. Uh, And this brings me back to the tone. Uh, Tony Isabella is writing an adult—adult in inverted commas story— I mean, even when Gerber is serious, he still adds a bit of whimsy. But not so much Isabella. Uh, there's a couple of jokes here and there, uh, offhandedly, but overall, he keeps it very serious. And again, this is in keeping with the format, so that makes sense. But enough preamble, let's let's talk about the story. So, Ellen has been traumatized by her encounter with Man-Thing. Uh, quite understandable. When a giant slime creature burns your face off... It's bound to leave some lingering effects, I would, I would suspect, uh, and she also seems to be in denial of her role in the, uh, in the creation of Man Thing, or you know, basically her whole betrayal leading to terrible consequences. I, I find this interesting. Uh, definitely, it's a great way to reintroduce the character of Ellen, who was simply a femme fatale in the original story. In the origin story, she. She was there to add some titillation and and was basically just a motivation for Ted Salas to do stupid things. Uh, but really, she wasn't more much more than a plot device. Here, Isabella is giving Ellen a bit more depth. She realizes her lack of of self awareness, her lack of empathy, and it's only when she realizes that Man Thing is Ted Salas and that she is responsible for his transformation, that she truly understands how how reprehensible she acted, how her greed ruined another person's life. I mean, if you want to get real meta, she seems to realize her own two-dimensionality as a cliched representation and actually decides to become a fully rounded character. This is done with the butterfly metaphor. Uh, and, I, and I admit I'm a bit torn by this. Is it brilliant or is it uh, just cliched symbolism? Tough call, but I'll explain what I mean. You see, Ellen is ugly, both inside and outside. She's wrapped in bandages, a cocoon, and she goes through a transformation where she realizes the ugliness inside, and that makes it possible for her to remove her bandages, to burst forth from her cocoon and reveal that she is now beautiful. Her inward ugliness has been removed so that her outward appearance reflects that. And she is outwardly beautiful as well. She's a beautiful butterfly. Hooray! (laughs) So this metaphor is kind of overused. And as I was reading this, I was thinking, is this great or is it lazy? Uh, Like I said, I was torn. But here's the deal. First of all, it's not overtly referenced in the text. No one says the word butterfly. There are no butterflies floating around. No one's an entomologist or anything like that and the art the way this is portrayed is is beautiful uh, it's not ham-fisted it's actually a very nice reveal when she removes her bandages and and the way in which manthing reaches towards ellen as if to harm her but that that menacing grasp becomes a tender caress that that plays into the empathic abilities of manthing the way he is able to subconsciously distinguish good emotions from bad emotions, and, and he realizes the intent of a person's actions instinctively, so that Man-Thing is able to give her a, a final blessing, as it were. Uh, he gives Ellen absolution, in a sense, leaving her with a feeling of peace, but also, and this is key, sadness and loss. Okay, so, so I'm going to go with, this is brilliant. There's a lot of emotion packed into this short story, with with a lot of information being given to the reader, as I said, in a very economical way, so that it doesn't feel weighed down by exposition. And Isabella has some some flashes of poetry in his writing, some elegant turns of phrase, but really, most of the heavy lifting is coming from the art. So let's get let's, let's talk about the art. Uh, it's stellar, really. Uh, I love the black and white format. It's crisp and clean, and it adds a moodiness that fits well with the horror genre and the darker tone. And Vincente Alcazar is well he just nails it. His panels are full of detail and beautiful line work and he he moves us through the story in a cinematic way with close ups and crossfades and overlapping images. He conveys the the tension of the situation and the tenderness with beautifully rendered expressions and, and attention to details. Yes, the story is well done, but the art is what makes it great. That's, that's what puts it over the top as being a very good story. Now, there are some brief interactions with the town of Citrusville that I didn't uh, mention in the synopsis, which they're interesting in that they seemingly set up later stories, And but other than that, they just add some local color, that doesn't really add much to the plot. But as Ellen and Leonard move through the town, there are various reactions by the residents. You know, it's funny. Uh, Citrusville, depending on the writer, is depicted as either a quaint small town or backwoods and lawless. I mean, it's it's either Mayberry or Deadwood. But, and, and Isabella goes for backwoods Hickville, for sure. I, I only mention this because there's one kid that I just loved. When he sees... Ellen, all bandaged up, he says Gee, she looks just like Claude Rains in The Invisible Man, 1933 I love that he says the date the film was released Because... Well, because that's essentially me Annoying people with ridiculous trivia (laughs) Actually, if it were me, I would have said Claude Rains in The Invisible Man, 1933 Directed by James Whale And based on the novel by H.G. Wells of the same name But, But I digress uh, overall, though, I, I I really like this story, and I like the fact that it's telling a, a more adult-oriented style of story, and I like the fact that it's getting uh, deeper into the psychology of Ellen Brann. It's very different from what Gerber is doing in the main title, but that will change in time. That's That's well into the future. One last thing, though. The cover to this issue announces that inside there is a giant sized man thing pinup i want to mention the restraint that i am showing in keeping to myself the plethora of dirty thoughts and inappropriate jokes is monumental i just want to be i just want that acknowledged uh, but rest assured very soon we will be reaching the publication of giant sized man thing and the floodgates will be open All right, I'm going to plug my other show and be back with some closing thoughts. Hey, Brian. What's up, Paul? Do you like comic books? I do. I love the funny books. Do you like listening to people talk about comic books? Why, yes, Paul, I find that both entertaining and informative. Well, that's great, because there's a new podcast where each episode a famous run or story arc is discussed in detail in a fun and totally not rambling way. It's called the Collected Edition. The Collected Edition? That sounds intriguing. Who are the hosts? Well, that's the best part. It's us, Paul Matthew Carr and Brian Reese. What fantastic! I love us. We're awesome. Where can folks find this amazing podcast, Paul? (laughs) Well, I'm glad you asked. The Collected Edition can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, as well as online at CollectedEditionPodcast.com. That's great. I'm going there right now. Me too. Are we done? Yeah, I think that'll do. All right. So, uh, okay. So that's it for this episode of The Nexus of All Realities. Next time on the program... I will be going back to the main title by Gerber, and the story that we'll, that I'll be covering is one that is probably my favorite. You know what, basically this is the reason I wanted to do this podcast in the first place. It was the first Man-Thing comic I ever owned, and the first Power Records adaptation that I ever owned. That's right, I'll be covering Night of the Laughing Dead. Hippies and clowns and ghosts, oh my... <laughs> this one's going to be fun. So tune in next time. But until then, thank you for your continued support of the show. I really do love your feedback, so keep them coming at comments at nexusofallrealities.com and hit me up on Twitter at nexus of all. So until next time, everybody. Thanks for listening, and bye. You've been listening to the Nexus of All Realities, a Man Thing podcast. The Nexus of All Realities is a Daddy Elk production. Man-Thing and all related titles are copyright Marvel Comics, and no infringement is intended. The show could be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And if you head on over and leave a review, I'd appreciate it, and I'll be your best friend. You can contact the show via email at nexus at daddyelk.com or online at nexusofallrealities.com and leave a comment on individual episodes. You can also connect with the show on Twitter at Nexus of All, The nexus of all realities is for entertainment purposes only. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained?